Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Allowing Yourself to Fully Experience Being Human, originally produced and published by Preston Ewell of the Metal Mentality Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I am your host, Preston Yule. Today, I am joined by someone I have waited three months to get on here. It took that long. She's a big deal. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> today, my guest is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Five. She is a more commonly known as the Mormon sex therapist. Now, people have said, why would you have a sex therapist on her? Because I've told a couple people that you were coming on the show. And I will tell you why. Because your work and the message that you share has changed my life. It has helped me understand myself better and my marriage better. My relationship with my wife is better because I have taken what you have put out there and applied it to my, my, my life and as well as my relationship. So Dr. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is a, not only the a sexuality coach, is that what we call it? A sex mm-hmm. coach? Sure. Sex therapist. therapist, depending on, yes, I do both. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> like I was saying, you're, uh, <laughs> Your resume is quite impressive, but you you studied at BYU. You got your degree there. Um, mm-hmm. Is that right? And then you just right. I got my undergrad there, and then I went and got a, my uh, master's and PhD at Boston College. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what, what was kind of interesting to me when I first came in across you was you did your uh, thesis on LDS women and sexuality. That's right. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today, not necessarily your thesis, but our sexuality and how we can own that, discover that as well as why that's important to us for our personal growth. Mm -hmm. So can you explain a little bit about what you do and how it's applicable to what we're going to the audience of the show? Sure. So the, you know, so primarily I'm a therapist and also I do coaching because I work with people that live outside of Illinois where I'm licensed. Uh, And my, the primary focus of my work is helping people live more, rewarding happy lives through having better relationships both with others and with themselves and it's inclusive of their sexuality because i see sexuality as being really fundamental to being human and therefore very fundamental to our most important relationships meaning our our intimate relationships our relationships with a spouse and you know a lot of people struggle to to integrate their sexuality and struggle to be intimate. And by intimate, I don't just mean sexually intimate, but struggle with emotional intimacy and being able to really be knowable and know a spouse because the ability to do that is so linked to our psychological and relational development. So um, it's, it's excellent work. I, you know, I teach online courses that help people learn principles that help them apply this to their own life and think about how they can develop their marriage relationship, how they can develop their relationship to themselves, how they can be more at peace with themselves. But then I also do, of course, individual work or work with couples where I'm helping them, you know, apply these things and develop as well. So it's great work. I absolutely love it. Well, you're doing great work and your work works because it's, like I said, it's changed my life. So one of the things that I've heard you say in the past is you've said, um, allowing yourself to be human in mm. the part of the human experience. And for a long time growing up as a kid, I learned to stuff my emotions as I, I was told to toughen up. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be so emotional. And so I did. I shut down. Mm-hmm. And I'm now at a point in my life where I'm willing to own whatever emotion I'm feeling. Even if it may be embarrassing other people or at times in my life, it would have been embarrassing. Mm-hmm. The, the allowing yourself to be human. I've said often that, yeah, I'll get emotional. It's part of, I'm not going to deprive myself of the human being a human. Exactly. And so why, why is understanding ourselves this way and, and this, our sexuality, how is that so key in personal growth and development and being resilient when we have hard situations arrive? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really linked to the first idea of what you're saying is, you know, allowing ourselves to be human, which is probably, I was saying that in a context of, of challenging perfectionism, which, you know, many of us do. Human beings have a hard time tolerating their imperfection and their vulnerability and so on. And so, and, and so if you really want to be happy in life and you really want to be capable of intimacy. You have to have compassion towards your own humanity, mm-hmm. your own vulnerability, and you have to compassion towards other people's vulnerability and humanity. And if you're going to accept your humanity, you also have to accept your basic sexual nature. It's just fundamental to being human is to also be sexual. And because our sexuality is so core to ourselves and vulnerable that a lot of us are uh, very anxious about integrating our sexuality or really being able to be at peace with its existence, much less be able to create an intimate relationship with another, that to let ourselves be knowable to another person. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us like to have sex, for example, but we aren't necessarily at peace with it or comfortable really being knowable in this way. And, um, and so you know, it's, it's just part, I think the people that are the happiest and the most at peace are really able to um, be at peace with what it is to be human and find self-respect in that. Mm, I really like that. So you're talking about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people misunderstand what it means to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And think that a lot of times, and like in uh, me being in the army, if we have a vulnerable spot that we're trying to protect in our, our perimeter, that's a weakness. So You're I right. Think, I think sometimes people think being vulnerable is being weak. Yes. It's actually not my favorite word. I, I'm using it today because so many people relate to this mm-hmm. idea of vulnerability, but I don't like it because of what you're saying. People, you know, Brene Brown talks about you know, the art of vulnerability or mm-hmm. something to that effect. What she's actually talking about is that the people in her research that were the most willing to tolerate being human were willing to be open. They were willing to be knowable. Now she's using the vernacular word vulnerable, but what's a little paradoxical about that is that the people in her research that didn't let themselves be knowable, that couldn't tolerate that they had limitations as a human being, that they couldn't tolerate other people knowing about them. The reality was that they were in fact the vulnerable ones. Mm. So that is to say it takes strength to tolerate being acknowledged as being human and fallible. It takes courage to be able to do that. And people who can do that are in fact less vulnerable in the way that you're talking about in the military Mm -hmm. sense. 
because you're not as dependent on everybody thinking you're perfect or thinking you're okay or thinking that you're above the human condition. You can handle the reality of the human condition without seeing it as a weakness. People that are in fact vulnerable in the way that you're talking about it are the ones that can't handle that being knowable to themselves or to others, or it makes them feel that they're worthless just because they're human like the rest of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so it, you know, I don't actually like the word vulnerable because it, it is, it does mean weakness, but people that are willing to be open are in fact stronger than people that are not willing to be knowable. I a hundred percent agree with you on that. Like I, like I just was talking about as a little kid, I, I didn't allow myself to be open and know myself and be vulnerable. But I, I think you could tie the definition of vulnerability that we like to use in this situation where it's a positive thing mm -hmm. is allowing yourself to be knowable. Is that correct? That's right. That's so right. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what it means to allow yourself to be known, to be knowable? Yeah. Well, so those of us that came out of a demanding family environment or culture where, you know, if you are flawed or you have limitations, which come on, that's what it is to be human, yeah. that that means you're worth less. Well, you're going to enact your life in a, in a frame of self-presentation of trying to pretend to others or show only your most positive self or masking the part of you that's underdeveloped or capable of doing, you know, unkind things, you're going to mask all that from being seen. And so, you know, like I sometimes say to people, most of us want validation a lot more than we want to be known. Mm -hmm. So we want a spouse or a friend to see all the best parts of us, the most idealized version of us and reflect that back but we don't want them to see the underbelly. We don't want them to see the underdeveloped parts, even though we're all in that together. Mm -hmm. And so human beings are very good at looking for self-reinforcement in friendship or in relationships rather than tolerating being seen for who we actually are. But when you can be seen for who you are, you're more able to develop the parts of yourself that you don't like and respect and you're more able to be at peace in your own skin because you don't have something to hide. You're not running from yourself. You're not a house divided. I really, Most of I us, our house is divided. <laughs> That's a great way to put it because I have found that allowing myself to be noble and accepting the darkness and the light that's inside of me, that is where my power comes from, my strength. That's my, right owning who I am, or as you like to say, is like my favorite phrase right now is belonging to yourself. Mm -hmm. You are empowering yourself to become better. It, it empowers your ability for self-development and growth. Yeah, absolutely. So, because the more that you belong to yourself or the more you aren't a house divided, that you know who you are, you have, you're, not, you're not trying to hide it. First of all, you're more able to address and deal with those limitations and be somebody you respect more. Mm -hmm. um, but the more you can tolerate, you don't have anything to apologize for anymore. Not because mm -hmm. you're perfect, but because, you know, you can account for basically who you are and you can tolerate that you're a work in development. So you're not trying to pretend and convince people you're okay because you are okay more or less with who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you know, the more that you can feel like I don't have to 
prove to you I'm acceptable. I, I'm just dealing honestly with who I am and trying to improve on where I am. You know, the freer you are to just be, because you're not trying to constantly get everybody to reflect back something false, something yep. idolized. Yeah, we're trying to, uh, I think maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but we're trying to fuel our ego, which is there to protect us from who we really are. That's right. Exactly. It, and I found that my ego is my worst enemy That's in my, exactly in my right. self-development. Exactly. You know, I, I talk a lot to religious people because I, I, um, you're the Mormon sex therapist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. I remember you've said that now. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, one of the scriptures I reference a lot is Christ saying, you know, to lose yourself, to find yourself in the mm -hmm. uh, Sermon on the Mount. And so a lot of people take that as like, oh, that's a martyr idea. Just basically serve and serve and serve. And then someday, somewhere you're going to find yourself. And I don't think that's the right idea. It's lose mm -hmm. your ego to find mm -hmm. your strength. It's our ego that impairs us from finding our strength when we're so fixated on proving to ourselves and to others some dishonest view of who we are that maybe comforts our narcissism but doesn't, isn't based in the truth will ultimately eat us up. It will ultimately undermine our peace. Mm. So it's always hard to see what's true and I often, you know, talk to people about this idea that the truth sets you free mm -hmm. it's it ultimately helps you find peace but it does make you miserable at first because it pressures you to confront things you hadn't seen before you know just yeah. like currently in my relationship with my teenager there are things that because i that there are things in that relationship that are not working it's pressuring me to see myself more accurately which is completely not fun i mean I'm always helping people to see themselves and I've done a lot of it, but here I am again, seeing more <laughs> and it's, it's terrifying and horrible at first where you're like, Oh my gosh, how could I be so dumb? How could I miss this part of myself that's undermining my child's well-being? But you know, it's when you then face it, then you're free to actually deal with it. You're freer to actually change it and to be, in deeper alignment and deeper peace within yourself, even though it really hurts at first, yeah. but it's a gift ultimately because mm -hmm. it just helps you be stronger. It helps you to love better, helps your relationships to have deeper peace within them. And it's a meaningful and really important process that most of us, well, we all resist on some level because it's uncomfortable, but it's a process that ultimately makes us stronger and more at peace if we're willing to let it, teach us. Mm -hmm. We just have to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable. That's right. That's right. Is you just, you have to kind of say, okay, here we are again. This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what can I learn from it? And growth always is uncomfortable. It always stretches, but there's something better on the other side. If I'm willing to go through it and keep striving or reaching for what is better, what's what I respect more even though mm. I'm on uncertain and uncharted territory, uncertain mm -hmm. ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it's the smooth. What is that saying? The smooth seas never made a great sailor. Something exactly. like that. It's not exactly, exactly right. But that's right. You have it's, to go through that to forge your character and find out who you really are and, and yes. develop that. 
That's right. So, you know, while peacetimes are wonderful and when things are, you know, there's a lot of pleasure when things are going swimmingly and well, but the place where we get our muscles and our strength is often in the suffering and when things are not going well. And I mean, I tend to appreciate those things looking backwards. I seldom appreciate them when I'm in them. Right. (laughs) But, you know, but that's, that's really where you get your strength. When, when I think back about who, how I became who I am, meaning what I do, it really came through a lot of suffering, actually. It came through things not going well, not getting the social validation I wanted, you know, not having the certainty I wanted. And that's where all the muscles got built. Um, But it's hard to value it for what it is in the times of the suffering. Yeah, we, I think we, speaking from my own experience, I, I questioned why? Why am I going through this? Why can't I overcome this? Why is this still going on? Like, why, 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 why? And I think I was asking the wrong question. That's I should right. have been asking, what do I need to do to get out of this situation? How can I make that happen? That's right. What, a question I ask is, what, not, what am I supposed to learn from this? Mm-hmm. Which might be a fair question for some people, but I tend to ask, what can I learn from this? What is this teaching me about reality and about myself that may be hard to learn, but that I can learn from it if I'll stay, keep my heart open to what I need to master this situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, it's a humbling process, (laughs) but, but that's, you know, paradoxically where the strength comes is when you stay humble as in teachable, you can keep adapting and learning. It's the organisms that don't adapt to a shifting environment that are ultimately vulnerable. It's the Mm. organism that can adapt to what's needed, can grow, that actually is robust. Yeah. You think like a virus or a bacteria, we come up with vaccinations for these things and they are resilient enough to say, okay, that's, if I do this, I'm going to die. I got to change. That's right. And I think if we- That's right. So, so be a virus. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but have, have that mind, that mentality yeah. of like, I can't keep yeah. doing what I've been doing because I'm, it's, it's going to be the death of me. That's right. That's right. Matt, do you, can you move to Utah so I can like visit you? We, like, can we have <laughs> weekly visits? Can we do these chats like weekly? Cause um, I, I need this. <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> no, that's, when, when, when I, I first, uh, discovered you and, and your message. Mom, that's what I said to my wife. I was like, where is she from? Like, we need to meet with her. And she's like, she's in Chicago. And I was like, dang it. Maybe we'll move there. <laughs> but no, this is great stuff. I think and that's why I wanted to have you on. Cause these are, that, I think, well, from speaking from my experience, I'll share a little bit about myself. And this is something I was never willing to do um, on the show. And I had shared parts of me, um, the darkness, I'll call it. Um, but I would have my producer edit it out because I was so concerned with what, how it would be received and how people would perceive me. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've only released one episode where I talked about this now. It was the, which came out yesterday, mm-hmm. but I found that it's empowering for me to talk, to talk about this. And my message that I'm trying to share with uh, the audience is much uh, more genuine. Mm-hmm. So from the age of 12 to 29, I struggled with an addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. And that was um, incredibly difficult to say. Mm-hmm. It was painful 
there was sorrow, there was sadness. And as I would find that I was unable to overcome it, mm. I would say, why am I going through this? Why, why, why? Mm. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why am I a failure? And so I took on the identity of an addict because mm. I owned my failures as part of who I was. Mm. And, yeah. the, and, and these things that you're, you're sharing with us, I didn't realize so much so or how to articulate it, but these are the things that I had to learn to mm. empower myself to be able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the way, one of the key things that I had to understand and be willing to do was be uncomfortable in being accountable for not only my actions, but everything that I said and everything that I thought and everything I told myself. Yeah. How does accountability play uh, into our self-development and um, belonging to ourselves? I think it's the process of being honest and not pretending or hiding things that allows you to discern, is this who I want to be? It's the secrecy Mm -hmm. and the self-deception that allows many of us to keep doing things over and over again that we don't respect and that are not blessing our lives. Mm -hmm. Whether that's eating compulsively, looking at pornography, you know, whether it's uh, video gaming compulsively, procrastinating all the time, meaning that people are really good at doing things and then telling themselves another narrative, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is like, okay, this is the last time I'm done And so they have something that kind of alleviates their anxiety up front, but there's not a kind of fundamental truth and sort of self-confrontation that allows them to look at it honestly. So when people start saying, look, I'm going to be honest, come no matter what, no matter what it makes me look like, I'm going to be honest with myself, my spouse, you know, whoever it is that allows people to look more directly at their pattern of behavior. You know, I was working with a client who was compulsively looking at porn all the time and he would always be telling himself that this was a slip up and this was a, you know, aberration. This was, and, um, and he would have periods of time when he wasn't looking at it and then he'd go back into looking at it. And I, and just kind of going on and on. And I just said, it's probably time to just be straight up with yourself and straight up with your wife. Just let her know that, that she can plan on the fact that you're probably looking at it and that you're a liar. (laughs) I mean, and I, I, I mean, he was like, wait, what? And I'm like, but isn't it true? I mean, that's what she kind of already knows is that she can't plan on you to tell her the truth and that you're always more or less looking at it. So might as well just be completely straight up about that fact and just take the deception out of it. And then she can decide what she wants to do, but at least you're not pretending one thing and doing another. And in the process of him just playing it straight, it became uncompelling to him. It was no longer this thing he's sneaking and hiding and Mm -hmm. imagining he's getting on the side, you know? And then he had to kind of look at it more like, is that really who I want to be? Not, I don't actually respect it. I don't like it. It's not, you know, and there's, there isn't the allure of this kind of sneaking something that was from is for many people, a compelling part of any compulsive behavior. Uh, And so, um, Anyway, and so the honesty kind of gets it more in terms of who do I want to be? Because a lot of compulsive behavior is sort of this sense of rebelling against this external 
demand external expectation on you. And when you can allow people to look more honestly, then they can say, well, who do I choose to be in the face of competing desires? Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's really, I'm just so many thoughts going through my head, how, how I, I relate to everything you just said, but mm -hmm. what it's not just, this isn't a principle just to overcome addiction. This is a, mm -hmm. just, it's a universal right. truth of the human experience that that's right. for any type of growth, this is what we have to do that's in any right. situation that we encounter. We have, these are the, this is the foundation of it. That's right. Any good therapy is helping you deal with more reality hmm. it, and helping you assert choices in the face of more honest assessment of yourself and of your situation. So the human mind is because it doesn't like growth and it doesn't like uncertainty will is really good often at creating narratives that allow us to put reality together in a way that makes us comfortable. So the idea that, okay, this is the last time maybe will make somebody comfortable, but in reality doesn't actually account for the entirety of the behavior. And so when we're really good at that, a good therapist helps you to challenge the narratives that you've told yourself that don't have enough reality in them mm -hmm. and wake up to what you're participating in or what your behaviors show you. For example, a lot of people say, well, I do this, but I really want this. I was working with somebody today who's saying, I want an intimate marriage, but his actual behavior he does not want an intimate marriage. His behavior is he wants control. Mm -hmm. His wife is not interested in being close to him. And an intimate marriage would suggest, I want to be knowable and know you. So when she says, I don't enjoy sex with you, he goes into pouting and punishing rather than, why not? What's hard about it? Mm -hmm. What do you dislike about it? He doesn't want to know something about himself that she knows. So he'd rather try to pressure her into sexual validation than deal with what does her lack of desire say about him and what does it say about her? And so a lot of people say, I want intimacy or I don't want to look at porn or I want, you know, to lose weight or whatever the thing may be, but looking at your behavior often will tell you a lot more about what you want than what you say about what you want. Because your behavior is exposing the desire in you that at least is winning. And so when you can look at what that behavior is saying about you, it helps you to confront it more and say, is this really how I want to live? You know, for the, the client I was just talking about, you know, for example, when he was looking more honestly at his behavior, it was showing him that he didn't want to not have porn in his life. He wanted it in his life. That's what his behavior was showing him. Well, acknowledging that allowed him to start to think about why. What is it about this that I want it? Because much of the time, I'm actually not even really enjoying it. It's, it's almost more compulsive. And for him, it had a lot to do with, I don't want to be controlled by the outside. And you know, he'd grown up in a very controlling environment 
And so this was always his way of rebelling against being controlled. But once he could sort of see it, like, I'm like, you know, no one's controlling you. You obviously can look at this all you want because you always do. <laughs> so clearly you are the one controlling the choice. And mm -hmm. once he could get in clear, like this is not being controlled on the outside. I can look at this anytime I want to. Now I can't make my wife be happy about it. I can't make myself be happy about my choices, but I am an agent and I'm free to choose that sort of deeper self-awareness of what he was trying to solve allowed him to solve it. Mm -hmm. But it had to come through breaking a picture of himself that he liked and getting a more honest picture, which allowed him to assert choices that had more integrity in them, more depth in them. Mm -hmm. I really like that. So I think knowing why your why is to, or understanding your why, discovering your, your reason why you're, you have those compulsive behaviors. Mm -hmm. what, it's, it's, it's the same for addiction. It's the same for unhealthy, any unhealthy habit. Mm -hmm. If you understand what am I trying to numb? What am I trying to not deal with? And that's, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yes. We're, creating that, we're lying to ourselves and saying, this will make me not have to deal with this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, um, or it can be, that's right. So it can be a way about numbing. It can be a way of trying to find some uh, immediate comfort rather than dealing with more difficult things in our life. You know, people can often do things that give them immediate sort of pleasure, but ultimately create more anxiety and difficulty for them. So, um, and looking more honestly at that, they may be able to make better choices. I think for a lot of people around pornography, it's often, especially when it's compulsive and it's not wanted, they don't want to be looking at it, or you know, it goes against their beliefs. For a lot of people, it has come from a position of it being shamed and too little information. And so they are drawn to it because that's normal to be drawn to sexual imageries especially as a as a adolescent whose sexuality is emerging that's a very normal thing to find it compelling it's health i mean how should i say it it's a function of normal sexual development to find it interesting and compelling but when it gets shamed then it gets put into this forbidden frame and this makes me bad i must not look at it i must not like it i must not think about it which only drives the obsessiveness which then makes it even more compelling, more of an allure. So a lot of times the way we set up the meanings around passions and pleasures makes us more likely to be compulsive about them. You know, if somebody shames sweets and pleasure in food and someone thinks that makes me bad or indulgent or, you know, I should feel guilty, the fact that I like sugar, they're more likely to be in an immoderate position of either denying it so that they're in an anorexic position or in a compulsive position because mm -hmm. they're not able to integrate that pleasure in a, in a healthy way. Yeah. And I think that that fuels our insecurities mm -hmm. when we give into that because we I know for myself that I was trying to hide them, numb them. Uh, yes. because uh, they were painful to deal with. It was uncomfortable and I wasn't willing to put myself in a position to be able to grow. Yes. 
And that, that yeah. really, it really was like pouring gasoline on a garden instead of watering it. Yes, exactly. Yep. And, so, and exactly. And then the more shame we have around the behavior, then the harder it is to break it rather than yeah. is this really what I want. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you shame? I think I understand, I think I understand the what, what way you were using the word shame, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes a lot of us don't understand shame versus guilt. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Like what's the difference mm. in your opinion between shame and guilt? Yeah. I mean, the, the general way that psychologists talk about the difference is that guilt is, is pro-social. Guilt is about, I have an appropriate level of, of discomfort around, it, meaning it's appropriate, it's, it's um, in proportion to something that I did that goes against my moral positions. So I've done something, I acknowledge that what I've done is harmful to myself or to others, it goes against what I believe is good. And I have an appropriate response to that in myself. So it's pro-social, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like psychologically what keeps your hands out of the fire. It's like a, ooh, that, that was off. It's offensive behavior. So it inhibits you in the, in the most appropriate way. Mm-hmm. It's driven by respect for others as well as respect for oneself but respect for others is a primary factor in it. So shame on the other hand is the idea that, you know, my, this makes me unworthy, fundamentally flawed. It's a toxic kind of response that the fact of my fallibility, the fact of my humanness makes me insufficient and disgusting or whatever. So even if someone's doing something like compulsively going to video games rather than dealing with, difficult things in their life or going and doing hard things, shame, shaming that is like, you know, I'm such a broken human being that I do this rather than, well, it certainly makes sense that I'd want to, cause I have much more sense of control and invulnerability and, you know, but if you come heavy handed on it, it actually makes it solidifies. It gets easier to keep wanting to sort of distance from your feelings of shame that you feel when you're, you know, kind of acknowledging who, what you're doing rather than a more measured response, which is it makes sense that you want to distract Mm -hmm. from difficult things, but is it going to accrue to the life you want? Mm -hmm. And that, that just makes it easier to handle your choices. That's a much more um, in-depth answer than I thought I was going to get. And, but it's a good one. (laughs) I, I was taught that guilt says, I feel bad for doing this. Shame mm-hmm. says I am bad because I did this. Oh, well that was, that was a more efficient way to say it. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to yeah. one up you or anything like yeah, that. I know, I know. I'm just trying... It's a nice summary. <laughs> summary. Yeah. Today I learned <laughs> what shame versus guilt means. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. No, it's a, that's a, it's the appropriate response to a situation uh, is mm-hmm. a skill that takes practice. You really have to hone that in and it's a craft. It's not a science. It's unique to the person too. That's right. And well, compassion is a skill you develop. Mm -hmm. Compassion for others and compassion for self. Compassion for the human condition that we're all in. Takes courage. It really, really does to tolerate the imperfection in ourselves and in others. To tolerate Mm -hmm. growth in ourselves and others. And so 
I think at the core of guilt is it's driven by compassion. And it's easier to flip into I'm worthless or to be shaming you're worthless because you make mistakes. It's, these are very, that's, that's what's so easy within the human condition is to be in a much more contemptuous position towards self and or towards others around the basic fallibility of being human. And the people that live well and live most peaceably have learned how to do compassion in the face of humanity. Mm. It, it's, you're really, how do I say this? You're really putting yourself out there when you decide that you're going to do that and put you in a position where that vulnerability in a negative connotation mm. yeah, that you're, you're putting yourself out there to potentially be hurt. And to mm. not be accepted. But if you, I can really only speak from my own experience. So when I say you, 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 I'm talking about mm. being, being Preston, Preston, sure. but you, I found that, um, if I don't do that, I am not being true to myself and I'm not living in mm. my integrity. And that's why I'm yeah. able to sit here and tell you that, yeah, I struggled with a pornography addiction for 17 years. And this show is not about pornography addiction. This is my sure. story. That's what's overcoming that is what's led me to this show. Sure. And I understand what you're saying about it makes you vulnerable in the negative sense to be more compassionate. Um, but I'm not sure that it does. And that, I might have misspoke on that. Because well, yeah, because what I would say is when you're living in deeper integrity, you mm -hmm. are in fact less vulnerable. Yeah. Because you're not as, you don't need other people to tell you you're okay. That's the thing I've really found in my life. I like people to like me and I like people to think I'm okay. So I'm, I, you know, it's not like I've grown out of that. Well, we but all do. More, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. But exactly. But the more that I live in alignment internally, the more that I really do what I think is right and push myself around what I think is true, honest, fair, good, the less I need to prove myself to anyone else. Mm -hmm. The more that, not that I, you know, it doesn't make one feel superior. It makes one just be like, it's okay to be human and be in development, just like it's okay for everybody else to be. It allows you more self-acceptance, but deeper acceptance of others too. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. When I'm sometimes giving feedback to a client that's hard and I know it's hard for them, you know, I'm not in, in judgment in the sense of, I know how it is to do dumb things. I know what it feels like to kind of wake up to yourself and be a bit tormented by mm -hmm. what you see. I know the process. I also know that there's peace on the other side of it. That's why I want to help people see themselves more honestly, because it's how they get stronger. Yeah, absolutely. You have to own who you are to get stronger. That's right. Otherwise, otherwise you're just self-inflating. That's right. So the name of the show is, is Metal Mentality. And I, I, and I came up with that name because I thought it sounded really good. Yeah, <laughs> I thought yeah. that's really good. But <laughs> I, I, and I knew, I knew if I've known what metal meant. And it's not steel or iron. It's, it's your character. It's what you're made of. It's mm -hmm. where you go. You dig deep mm -hmm. when you don't know where else to turn. Persevere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so to define metal mentality, I've come up with three words. It's consistency, mm -hmm. fortitude and mm. grit. And yeah. if you do those things, you have those things, you focus on those things, you develop them, you will be better than you were yesterday. 
And yeah. I think that that's the way that we need to measure ourselves. Am I doing better than I'm than yes, I was yesterday? Because that's it's right. not, it's never a destination. You're never going to, I no. remember saying, if I can make it to, to be sober, if I could be sober for a week, I, I can, if I can make it yeah. there, that yeah. would be awesome. But what I've come to find is if you look at it from that perspective, you're never going to arrive. Right. Because there's nowhere to go. It's really just a process. And that process yes. is going to change continually. It's yes, just as the process exactly. of the show, the name of the show and how it's developed and how I come to understand what that actually meant. Cause I knew it had meaning to me. That's it's right. changed. That's right. There's no arriving. It's a way of living. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it is so much about, you know, I have my daughter is a violinist and watching her interact with really good teachers is good for me to watch because so much of good teaching is not about, Oh, you're, you know, because first of all, in violin, there is no arrival place. Even mm-hmm. even the best violinists are super aware of where they're flawed and limited, I'm sure. There's no arrival. So it's like really good teachers are celebrating perseverance, celebrating, you know, development and highlighting in that the the value and the benefit of that, and then inviting into another level of development. And that's just a way of living mm-hmm. that you've it's great to master things. It's great to become more capable in the true sense. Um, but we will always be incapable as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just fundamental to being human and sort of tolerating that and celebrating growth that is so fundamental to being human at whatever level you're at. You know, and I have a special needs child and, and you know, you can be tortured by, oh, it should be here or the Mm -hmm. ability should be at this level, or you can say, no, this is someone who can develop and grow and become, and you celebrate where he makes those strides and pushes himself and becomes stronger because we're all capable of it on some level. Yeah. You said something about the word you said should, it should be like this. Mm -hmm, And I can't remember where I heard this, but Ever since I've understood where the origin of the word should comes from, mm. um, I don't like to use it. I, yeah. I, have tr- I avoid using it because it comes from the, I believe it comes from the Latin word of sh- uh, shame. Mm. Yeah. It's ba- and and um, so you're shaming yourself because things aren't how you want them to be. Yeah. Well, exactly. Or what I would say is, yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend that I have every nuance of, of what you're saying, but I think when we do this should idea, we sort of externalize. It's this external reference point. I'm supposed to be a certain thing, be a certain way. We're comparing ourselves. Exactly. And so it's more about trying to prove that you are sufficient, that you meet some external standard. And it always makes one feel insufficient because, well, I shouldn't say always, but it, you know, this is largely the sort of externalized measure and you measure yourself against it and feel inadequate. So it pushes you towards pretense. Integrity is about what do I want to become? What does my higher self believe is the right place to strive and to grow? And that's more about an accountability to your higher self. And that makes you not focused on proving yourself, but more deeply at peace with yourself as you lean more and more towards that self. Mm-hmm. 
So it's it, an internal versus an external reference. Yeah, I, we, it's that comparison of, well, this person's at this point in their life. Why, why am I not there? I should be there. And, and we, right. we, you can't, you don't, we don't even feel guilty because that's not even accurate. We've gone over that. We, we are ashamed of ourselves for not arriving at a point where it's how much money we make, how big of a, owning a house versus renting a house, being married, right. being single, whatever your situation is, we compare that to um, where we, what we wish we had. That's right. And, and we but we can't look like mm-hmm. we, what we want to look like. Absolutely. How we want other people to see us as well. That's I think, right. I think that's probably more that's accurate right. too, yep. but and so many times we will, we will say, well, I would be there, but this happened, but, and, mm-hmm. or that happened this, and we don't want to take accountability because mm-hmm. we, it's easier to remain in a, in a, having a victim mentality that it's not my fault because this, because then that, that doesn't require us to, to be honest and be uncomfortable. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So how, why do we often choose? I think I given maybe I've answered the question already, but why do we often choose to uh, remain in, in the victim mentality instead of owning the situation for what it is? Because you can hide behind victimhood, and I, I don't want to dismiss people that have actually been mm-hmm. victimized, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, or who have to deal with a deep setback because of someone mm-hmm. else's wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. But that's different than what you're talking about, which is you hide behind your victimhood. You hide behind, because first of all, victimhood usually is an exposure of an entitlement. You know, I'm entitled to being happy. Mm-hmm. I'm entitled to people giving me what I want. And then I can use the fact that you didn't make me happy or you didn't give me what I was entitled to, to not take responsibility for my life. Taking responsibility for our lives is scary because there's inherent exposure in it because you're willing to assert what you want, take, you know, go and try to create it. And without a guarantee that you're willing to expose what you desire with or without the validation of other people for that thing. So when you take responsibility for your life, it's inherently exposing. And so a lot of us would rather hide behind what we think we're owed and be resentful we don't get it or pressure a spouse to give it to us or, you know, society or whatever, rather than living with deeper responsibility and deeper gratitude. It's, it's, hard, it's a more honest way to live, to be in a state of gratitude and, and without a sense of entitlement to everything going your way. Um, but it's a harder way to live because it's wiser, it's more honest, and you're shedding yourself of entitlement all the time. You know, you can resent that you're sitting on the tarmac for 20 minutes, or you can be incredibly grateful that there's even such a thing as an airplane that you can get in and fly. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and most of us yeah, right? choose entitlement. Yeah. I mean, most of us sit around thinking about how bad it is because something didn't go our way, as opposed to how miraculous and amazing life is mm. all the time. We think about all the things our spouse doesn't do for us rather than this person loves me. This person does a lot for me because they care about me. And, and, and I don't mean you, know, you can't run your life or you can't make decisions if someone really isn't living up to their, you know, what is needed in a relationship. But oftentimes we run our lives from a place of I'm owed because you can hide behind it and try to trick yourself and others that 
you don't have to take responsibility ultimately for the way you live. A lot of us don't want to, mm -mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, even the it, should idea, even the, yeah, it does. And even the should idea is a way of trying to like almost not take responsibility rather mm -hmm. than what do I believe I should be? How do I want to use this short life I have? Who do I want to be in it? Yeah. Well, I have a million things I want to follow up with on this and, but we're about out of time here and I want to be respectful of your time. Time is I've learned is the most valuable commodity that we have. That's and so right. I'm super grateful for your generosity and giving us an hour of your time. So I just have two final questions for you. Sure. Um, I want to know what is the most metal thing you've done lately? Oh gosh. I think what it is really is it's, you know, what I alluded to earlier, it really is this. I'm just sort of trying to figure out how I don't want to say more about my son than he would want me to say, but I'll talk about just from my position, but I think it's been sorting out who I am as a parent and who my husband and I are parents relative to what this particular child needs and to stay on it and to stay self-confronting rather than um, blaming the child. <laughs> and I think that's been somewhat um, harrowing and humbling, if not humiliating at times, and <laughs> very good for me. But it's really taught me a lot about who he is, who I am, what it means to love, and uh, what it is to really help someone thrive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I children, are, children are amazing because they'll teach you all kinds of things. You know, we're supposed oh, to teach yeah. them, but the boy, they teach you. <laughs> I, I, I just hope I teach them good things because I can teach them bad things super easy. Just, sure. <laughs> just before, just before this interview started, my, my wife and I, we, we went, we got KFC with the kids here in Utah. It was like 76 degrees today. It was beautiful. Oh, the kids are outside. We're playing like, I was sitting on the front porch and I was like, I'm sweating right now. This is not right, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> so we went, we got KFC and we went to the park and my kids said, dad, will you chase us around on the playground? And there's, they had the wood chips, one of those, those playgrounds. And I was running around. My, my wife said, go chase them. I'm like, oh, I've got a headache. I don't want to start sweating because yeah. I get, I mean, when I start sweating, I'm, I don't stop. I sweat yeah. in the shower. And I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, so I was chasing my kids around in the playground. And right as we were leaving, I was chasing them back to the car. And I turned back to get one of my other kids. And I turned back to like fake them out. And I don't know, my feet just lost I and I fell yeah. like smacked down on it scraped my arm yeah. up my hands and so I was like I said ain't cuss when I hit the ground right yeah. I just lay there and I laughed at myself and my yeah. kids came dad you okay and I laughed and my wife's like, what happened it's like oh man I wish you would have seen this because you I'm glad you actually glad you didn't see this right but so teaching my kids that that it's okay to fall down Absolutely. it's okay 100% that, that it's okay to fail and then I said, dad just fell down. I, and I laughed about it. And they said, oh, I thought you were going to be upset. And I was like, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, it's, that a brilliant, this it's a brilliant thing to teach your child. I mean, and I think that's partly what it is. I think for my son is just seeing that I can say I've been making mistakes and I'm also uncertain, just like you are. And that we're in this together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, that that you keep what what relationships i think want <laughs> to thrive is the tolerance of being imperfect and mm -hmm. still being invested in trying anyway 
And mm. I think that's just, you know, where it's at. That's what love is about. Yeah, 100%. That's what it is. So I, just my last final question for you. If after this interview, you were to pass away and die, and I gave you the next 30 seconds that anything you said would be heard by everyone in the world, and they'd understand what oh you're saying, gosh. what would you say? How much I love my husband and children and family, how extremely grateful I am for all those people, how much I love God, how grateful I am for the reality of goodness and that it's real and that it's, that it's the anchor point in life, that it's what helps life give you peace and be at peace in your relationships and that I'm extremely grateful for the privilege of being able to help other people and that I don't know how I'm so fortunate. <laughs> that's what I'd say. And that that's I'm sorry, it. the coronavirus got me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the instant version. It's, it's, the <laughs> it's because you didn't stock up on toilet paper and water. That's why. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, they, I, I am so grateful for your, your time and your message. And, and I love to have you on the show because I have a million other questions and uh, this is, this has been so insightful. Um, do you accept TRICARE insurance? <laughs> By the way, I can't afford it. I can, I can do this one time. I can pay cash one time. <laughs> no, I just say that. <laughs> this has been a, a very insightful and it, it's been very valuable. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.